0: Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're having a lot of fun, aren't we, with this series called Fear Inc. It's been incredible. And really what we've been asking throughout this whole series is, hey, what if fear were a corporation? Like, how would it be doing? And the honest truth is it would be doing really well, right? Because fear is on the rise. I mean, if fear were a corporation, its stocks would be on the rise. Everything would be up and to the right. Because fear is everywhere, and everything plays on our fears. I was thinking about this. I mean, just even this last week, there's been so many events that evoke fear in our lives and in our hearts. I mean, Just as a parent with kids that are in school systems, you, you have to wonder, when, when's this next school shooting going to happen? I mean, it seems like there's one every other week. Mass shootings in Pittsburgh, it hits really close to home, doesn't it? And then there's, there's fear uh, in the media. There's fear on social media. There's fear everywhere that we look. And, uh, and here's the thing, fear puts us kind of in a bad place, doesn't it? And, and so our goal is we want to put fear out of business. And I hope that's been happening in your life because it certainly has been happening in mine. And today, the title of my message is, I want to take us from fear to faith and shame to grace. That's the title of my talk today, fear to faith and shame to grace. And you know, it's interesting, when you think about the world, the world definitely didn't get its start this way. It wasn't always present, fear and shame. They, they weren't always in the world. As a matter of fact, when you go back to the very first account of mankind and you look in Genesis, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's the very first book of the Bible. And it talks about Adam and Eve. And remember, they had a pretty good thing going. There was certainly no fear or shame, and I can prove it to you, because in Genesis 2.25, there's this really peculiar statement made. It says that Adam and Eve were naked... <laughs> but they felt no shame. That's interesting to me. As a parent, and I'm sure any other parent can relate to me on this, kids are always trying to get naked, right? Like, I don't know what it is about a kid, but you just look for one second away and their clothes are off. And it's like, bro, put some clothes on. You're making everybody uncomfortable. They'll eat naked, they'll play naked, they'll answer the door naked. It's just like, Joey, go put some clothes on, bro. And that's, that's kind of your life as a parent is you're constantly putting clothes on that they're taking off. But why is that? I'm convinced it's just because they are as innocent as innocent can be. They are the definition of shameless, right? And when you're shameless, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to have to cover up. There's nothing holding you back. And that is exactly what was happening in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time. There was nothing holding them back. There was nothing standing between Adam and Eve in their relationship with God. But if you know the story, it didn't stay that way for very long, right? Because The very next chapter, chapter three of Genesis, is labeled the fall. And that tells you everything you need to know. Fall is the moment, as a matter of fact, that fear entered the world. And shame was close behind it. And and so let's just remind ourselves of this account. And if you've heard this story a bunch of times, can I maybe ask you to hear it with a fresh set of ears? Because I think God wants us to see something in particular today, as we move from fear to faith and shame to grace. Remember, God said there's just this one tree that you cannot eat from, and it's the tree of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have any of the other fruit from any of the other trees, but this is what we like to call the forbidden fruit. And so Satan, in the form of a serpent, he comes to Eve first, and he tries to entice her to eat this forbidden fruit, and she says, no, God told me if I eat this fruit, surely I will die. And this is what Satan loves to do. He starts to put this little shadow of doubt in her mind, and he's like, are you really gonna die? And this is interesting. I want you to notice this. The very first sin was motivated by fear. Fear was at the root. Fear was at the core. And here's what the fear was. Fear that God couldn't be trusted. Fear that God couldn't be taken at his word. Fear that God was hiding something or maybe even holding out on them. And ever since that moment, since they took that forbidden fruit, all of us struggle with fear. I just want you to think for a moment, not every one of us is dominated by fear, but I bet all of us are influenced by fear in some way or shape or form. Like we all have the common fears like fear of heights and fear of spiders. Do I have any, anybody with arachnophobia in here? I mean, my wife has some issues with that. Pray for her. And, and, and then there's, there's people with, with the fear of closed spaces and fear of blood and fear of fill in the blank. Pastor Gina is afraid of mayonnaise. That's something she needs some healing and deliverance from. No lie. Any condiment, really. But those are the funny ones. But but what's interesting is when we live out of fear, just like in Genesis, when fear dominates our life and we make decisions out of fear and we relate to people out of fear, we are right where the devil wants us. We're right in the devil's domain. Because if fear is a corporation, Satan is the CEO, and fear is his number one tactic. Now, I love this quote from Rich Wilkerson. He says, whatever we avoid, the enemy will invade. And so Satan is constantly looking to take back ground from the church, from God's people. I mean, think about how he did it with God's people when they had the Canaan land, the promised land in front of them. It belonged to them. But what happened? They send 12 spies into the land and 10 of them come back fearful. And Satan is occupying something that actually belongs to God's kids. So whatever we avoid, the enemy is going to invade. in fear it's, it's defensive. It puts you on your heels, right? But faith is offensive. It moves us forward. And so, of course, naturally, the enemy doesn't want us to live in faith. He wants us to live in fear. And he'll do anything to make us live in fear. I think this is why the Bible says that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are what? As bold as a lion. This is what we're called to. And I believe this. Satan wants us to be afraid because Satan is afraid of a fearless church. He doesn't know what to do with it. It terrifies him to think that we might actually have some faith and know who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this this morning at Believer's Church at both campuses. I want you to think about this statement. I I think most of our fears can be summed up by the statement, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. I just wrote down a couple of thoughts, and I bet if I read through this list, one of these is going to step on your toes. You're going to see yourself in one of these. I definitely see myself in several. So let me just read them, and and I'm just going to mind my own business, and let's see if these help you, okay? So So I'm afraid of being hurt again, so I stop opening my heart to others. I'm afraid of being taken advantage of, so I'm constantly suspicious of others. How about this one? I'm afraid of people looking down on me, so I spend more money than I make to impress people I don't even know or like. I have to keep up appearances, so I just go further and further and further into the cycle of debt. I'm afraid, so. How about this one? I'm afraid of not having enough, so I'm not generous. I'm afraid of change, so I I never step into the next season God has for me. Or how about this one? I'm afraid of dealing with my pain, so I just numb myself with addictions. From prescription pain meds to alcohol to pornography, I'm afraid, so. And here's the challenge. Fear keeps us from where God's calling us. And the enemy would love nothing more than to keep us on our heels and defensive and never take the land, never take the ground that God called us to take. And so I wanna help us to get from fear to faith and from shame to grace. And it's interesting when you study this very story, this very account of Adam and Eve, shame was not far behind fear. Listen to Genesis 3, 7. Let's pick up where we left off. At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt, here's that word, shame at their nakedness. You know, I think that being naked and ashamed is like a core fear of every human being, right? Because there's something to that, like every one of us has had a nightmare at some point in our life of being in public, like in our underwear, right? There's something embedded in us that doesn't wanna experience that because we don't want everything laid bare for the world to see. And uh, when when I was dating my wife, uh, this is going back to 2004. I had been dating her for a couple of years. Shout out to my wife, Erin. Love you, baby. And, uh, and she's over in Boardman right now, if you're wondering. And, and so we were, we were getting to know each other. It was long distance. I really liked her. At this point, I was thinking, man, I would love to marry her someday. And so we had this opportunity to go on the family vacation, and it was the first ever family vacation where we got to invite Erin to come with us. And so I was pretty excited, and uh, we, we ended up going to New York City. And so we went there, we, we traveled together, and we got to the city, and I'm there with my whole family, my mom, my dad, my two sisters, and my brother. We spend our first day seeing the sights, and then we kind of drive out of the city, and we go to like a Holiday Inn Express, and it was one of those lobbies in the hotel that's in the center, and then there's hallways all around, you know what I'm talking about? So there was this one thing that I had neglected to tell Aaron about myself, to this point, because I really had no need, it hadn't come up. But at that point in my life, for whatever the reason, I don't, I don't really do this anymore. But I was a sleepwalker, and like, any, do I have any sleepwalkers in the house out at Boardman TCI? Sleepwalkers. Uh, it's kind of a scary thing because you go to sleep in one place and you wake up in a different place with no idea how you got there. And so that night. Everything was right with the world. I was in a room with my dad and my brother on one side of the hallway. My my future wife was in a room with my mom and my sisters on the other side of the hallway, and I closed my eyes. But the next time I opened my eyes, I'm not in my bed, and I'm not in my bedroom or bathroom. I am in the hallway of the Holiday Inn Express around the corner from the lobby in my underwear. No lie. No lie. Jesus helped me. And so I did what anybody would do. I looked down panicked and the only thing I had not my card to my room not anything just a pillow and so I was naked and ashamed and I hid and I sprinted back to the room deliriously trying to remember which door was I it had to be 1 or 2 a.m. I hear voices coming around the corner and I start wailing on the door hoping and praying my dad hears me because he's kind of a deep sleeper finally felt like five minutes had passed my dad opens the door and he doesn't he doesn't open it and say hey how are you? Is everything okay? His first thing he says to me is, where is Aaron? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Come on. Come on, chief. I'm better than that. And furthermore, if I was doing that, why would I show up in, the, in my underwear to the door? Just not, oh, my life. So, so here's what this means. Circa 2004, there is some security footage of this guy running around in his skivvies through Holiday Inn Express. So, um, oh. but have, haven't we all... Haven't we all felt that way? Maybe not exactly that way, but just kind of naked and out there and ashamed. And what's our tendency when when we feel that way? We cover up. We hide it. Uh, This is what happens next. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord God called to man and and he asked them a really poignant question. Very simple. Could have said a lot of things to them. Could have begun by correcting them. Could have just found them on his own. He's God. But he didn't. He says, Where are you? Now, I don't think God was asking for their geographic location, because let's be honest, this is like the first ever game of hide and seek, and you're always gonna lose hide and seek with God. Happens a lot in the Bible. It's kind of like when your kids are hiding from you and like half of their body is sticking outside of the curtain, you know? He wasn't asking them, Where are you for their geographic location, he was trying to locate their heart. He wanted them to to notice that they were far from him in that moment. And the reason was because of sin. And he was asking that because he wanted them to come close. And some of us have this misconception of God. If you're new to God, maybe you've had people in, in religious settings tell you that God's mad at you or he doesn't want anything to do with you. And you've got to clean up before you can come to him. And it's the exact opposite. So he's looking for them. And listen to what happens next. He replied, this is Adam speaking to God. I heard you walking in the garden. Remember, we've already seen shame. Here's fear. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now I want to go back to this thing that they do. Right after they sin, they're ashamed. So they take these fig leaves and they try to cover themselves. What is this? It's the world's first cover-up. The world's first cover-up. It's a moment that all of us have when we sin and we do something that we're ashamed of. The tendency in, in our humankind is to cover up. So that's what they did. And is this this an appropriate topic right now when we have the Me Too movement happening and it's like every other day there's a political figure, there's a celebrity, there's somebody that did something a long time ago that carried a secret and they just kept hiding it and hiding it instead of making it better. And and ultimately they get found out, right? This is what happens. Have you ever hid something? You know, when I was about nine years old, in my family, we were really into health food. And when I say we, I mean my parents because I absolutely was not into health food. And, and we would start, no lie, every day, ask my sister God, God's honest truth. We would start every day with something that we called green drink. That was lovely. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was barley green mixed with carrot juice or beet juice or whatever the abundant produce was in our refrigerator at that given moment. We didn't eat snacks like chips. I used to like bum chips off of my friends at lunch. I had a problem, you know? And I was just this pudgy Italian kid, always looking for carbs in a world with none. And um, yeah, feel bad for me. And, um, and so it was, it was one of those nights, we had this rule in our house because my mom was helping me to count calories before that was the thing. And she was like, hey, after this certain, after this certain time at night, you can't eat any more like food, food, you got to eat like fruit. And so this one night, for whatever the reason, I was feeling like extra like, I'm a man, I can... I can eat whatever I want whenever I want. And so I I did what a man would do and I snuck down very quietly (laughs) into the kitchen and there was nothing obviously because we didn't stock the pantry with good stuff. There wasn't little Debbie. So I I did what a desperate man would do and I went to the old stale wheat bread, you know, And and I grabbed the whole loaf because I didn't want to make noise. And I tiptoed up to my room. And this is kind of a low point for me. I can't believe I'm sharing this with you. But at the age of nine in the darkness, I just curled up in the fetal position. And I just, uh, one awful, stale, dry piece of bread after the other, I just shoveled them into my mouth. And um, my brother, I shared a room with my brother, Dave, and he was about two years younger than me. And he he heard me. I must've been chewing pretty loudly. I didn't have anything to drink. And I hear him say, hey, what do you got over there? because he was hungry too, and I was like, nothing, <laughs> felt like Aladdin, like a street rat just stealing bread from people, and, and so he's like, no, I hear something, before I know it, I hear his hot breath on the back of my neck, you know, feel it on me, and, and, and so he's like, I'm telling mom, and I'm like, don't tell mom, I was like, I'm holding this for a friend, if, you, if you're good to me, I'll give you some, and, and all of a sudden, I hear, mom, Joe's got bread in the bed, that's like, man, snitches get stitches, he, he paid for that, just kidding kind of, but um, you know what's so funny about that whole endeavor is that I couldn't enjoy it. Like you ever done something and you're so busy hiding it and concealing it and covering it up that it's not enjoyable. I mean, it never delivers on the satisfaction that it promises. This is the nature of sin. Sin is silly sometimes, right? Like think about Achan, this is right after Joshua and the people uh, of Israel conquered Jericho. Remember the walls come crashing down. What's the very next city that they go after? The very next nation is Ai. And they're going after Ai, and God gives them this one stipulation. He says, just don't keep any of the plunder for yourself. Because God never wanted it to be said of Israelites that they became wealthy from other nations. God wanted to be their sole source. And so everybody followed the rules except Achan. And Achan saw some really good looking gold, some really awesome clothing. They were very fashionable people. And apparently, he saw something that he liked in their fall line and he said, I need this. And so he smuggled, smuggles this back into Israel, into his tent. And this is how stupid Sin is. He's got gold that he's stolen and he can't spend it anywhere because if anybody sees it, they're going to know that he stole it. And he's got these clothes and he can't wear them anywhere except in his tent. I'm sure he had a great fashion show in there, but nobody could know. He just buried it. And isn't this how sin works? The enemy loves for us to be in that place, by the way. He loves for us to sin and then go into the, to the cycle of, of guilt and of shame and hide it and then sin some more. And we just dig the hole deeper and deeper. And I think some of us, we're wrestling with some secrets right now and God wants us to be free and God wants us to be whole. But we cannot be that until we get rid of those secrets, until we bring them into the light. Luke eight seventeen actually has something to say about this. I want you to listen to this scripture. For all, 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 that is secret, will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to the light and made known to all. How about Mark 10 26? For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. You ever heard it said this way? You're only as sick as your secrets, and I want to make a statement to you. Satan wants to hide it. God wants to heal it, Satan wants to hide it. God wants to heal it. And I want you to to pop this bubble because you have this thought and this belief about God if you've grown up in religion, and it's this. God wants you to expose your secrets and your sins so he can embarrass you. God wants to use it against you. That's what we think. But it's not the truth. It couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible actually says that God is love. You know, one of the attributes of love is that love covers a multitude of sins. It's not a cover-up, but once sin is exposed and brought into the light, then God wants to help cover it because he's healed it for you. That's his only motivation, but Satan is going to fight to keep you to hide it. God wants to heal it. You know, uh, growing up, I had a really great relationship with God, and I grew up in a family that that enabled me to have a great relationship with God. Um, If you don't know, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. And so I grew up a PK, and I mean, obviously, I heard about Jesus from a very young age. At the age of four, I would say I am called to preach. I just always knew that deep down inside. There was something in me that said, this is part of my identity. But I think the enemy knew what I was called to do, and from an early age, he tried to stop it. I wonder how many callings have been stopped and prevented, and and they're on pause because we have secrets in our life. Because that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I've been married to my beautiful wife for 11 years now, and I can honestly say we have an amazing relationship. But can I tell you something? When, when I was in my early teens, I'm telling you, I loved God. I served him. I went to student ministry. I mean, every week I was excited about what God was doing. I led a prayer group in my school. I would tell people about Jesus. But deep down inside, there were a couple of secrets that I was holding on to from a few mistakes that I had made early in high school, and I was so ashamed of them. I mean, there was so much guilt that would come on me. Every time I would try to pray, every time I would try to connect with God, have you ever been there? It's just like, man, I feel like there's this barrier between me and you, God. I can't, I can't hear you right now. And every time, here's all he would say, Joe, just bring it into the light. Because I can't heal what's in the dark. The darkness is the devil's domain, but if you let me bring it into the light, then I can heal you and I can make you whole. And I'm ashamed to say that I walked through my entire high school career from something that happened at 12 and 13 years old this secret that I held on to and I never told a soul. I actually remember a moment where I said to myself, I'll never tell anybody about that. Because here's the lie. Anybody that holds on to a secret, the lie is that if I tell somebody, they'll never think the same of me. Or, or my life will be over as I know it. Or, or my reputation will change. These are the lies that the enemy feeds us. And I'm even more ashamed to say that when I... When, it, when I started to feel like I wanted to marry my wife and I proposed to her, we went through premarital counseling and one of the exercises was to tell them everything about your past. And I remember deciding, I'll tell her some of these things, but I can't tell her these couple of things because she'll never forgive me. She'll never love me and, and she'll never see me the same. And so I held on to that secret, even into my marriage. And it took me four years into our marriage before finally I decided I've got to bring this into the light. You know what's so sad and so crazy is that some of these things that I was so ashamed of and so guilty of, at one point, they were 12 and 13 years old. I wasn't living in that sin. It had been over a decade since I had had anything to do with that, but the enemy still had a grip on me because I was hiding that secret. You're only as sick as your secrets, and I'll never forget this moment where I just promised God, all right, God, I can't live this way anymore, and I'm gonna tell my wife. It was the hardest thing I ever ever tried to do. And I remember I went to do it a couple times and I chickened out. And I just pretended I wanted to talk to her about different things. But there was this one night, I'll never forget it, four years into our marriage and the, the sky aligned, the stars aligned, and it was like an hour free with no kids interrupting, nothing else was happening. And I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'll never forget as I just, one confession after the other, started to unravel this thing from all these years ago. You know what happened? The exact opposite of what I thought would happen there wasn't judgment, there wasn't condemnation, there wasn't a guilt trip. One confession at a time, my wife extended forgiveness to me and showed me the grace that only God could give. And there was crying and, and I'd cry and then I'd say some more and she'd cry and she'd hug me and, and it was just unconditional love. And at the end, you know what she said? She said, man, I'm kind of sad for you that you waited all of these years and that one moment all those years ago was holding you back from freedom to this point. I wish you would have told me earlier. That's all she said. And I just wonder how many of us are holding on to some secrets from when we were 10 years old or 20 years old or last week or last night. And if we could just bring it out into the light, God could do something with it. But we just keep it in the darkness. Listen, God cannot heal what we hide. He cannot heal what we hide. There's this amazing, brilliant novel and it was written by C.S. Lewis, who was an amazing writer. And he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with that. There's this lesser-known novel that he wrote, and it's called The Screwtape Letters. And you know what this is about? It's about this demon. His name is Screwtape. It's kind of interesting. It's similar to Fear, Inc. This demon, Screwtape, he is trying to train his nephew, whose name is Wormwood, so that he can become the best demon possible. It's like the ultimate reverse psychology as you read this book, so that they can influence this person that they call the patient. And their sole goal was to get them one day to end up in hell. It's pretty heavy, but it's powerful when you start to see how the enemy schemes. And I want you you to just hear this one little excerpt. I'm going to read it to you. This is Screwtape writing to his apprentice. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Isn't that incredible? And so listen, I think many of us, we're not in danger of hell. We're actually on our way to heaven, but we're not able to live in the fullness of God's freedom because of what is hidden in the dark. Listen to James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins. And I want you to see who it says to confess your sins to, to each other. And then it says, and pray for each other. And here's why, so that you may be healed. Now, there are other scriptures that says, confess your sins to God so that you may be forgiven. But can I tell you something? There are so many Christians that are walking around forgiven, but they're not healed. So the best thing some of us could do is take the step and bring it out of the dark and into the light, and God would have something to work with. So I wanna help you to get from fear to faith and shame to grace. Let me give you two simple ways to do it. The first one is we have to listen to the right voices. We have to listen to the right voices. Can we all acknowledge that there are voices all around us? Everywhere we turn, we have, we have options of voices of fear, voices of shame, or we can listen to voices of faith and of grace. And you know something? God has a lot to say to you and a lot to say about you. If you ever want to just get encouraged a little bit, just look up what God says about me. It's so encouraging. Like, did you know that the Bible says that God thinks you're the apple of his eye? And he thinks about you a lot. Like the Bible says that his thoughts are more than can be numbered in the grains of sand in the seashore. That's a lot of time that he's spending thinking about you and thinking about about me. And how often do we just think, no, I'm not on God's mind. Because that's what the enemy wants us to think. He's not thinking about me at all. You know what the best thing you could do right now in your relationship with God? Just turn on that one song that says, I am chosen and I'm not forsaken. I am who he says I am. Because so many of us, we're feeding on the voice of fear and then we're hoping to live a life of faith and it's not possible. We've got to listen to the right voice. You know, Satan has some things to say about you too. Actually, the Bible, God, he calls him an accuser. And Every time Satan talks about you and talks to you, he's pointing to your past. He's pointing to that thing in the rearview mirror. Can I tell you something? As I was preparing this message this week, I had some accusations come at me there were some things that Satan reminded me about my past. He loves to do it. Look, it's in Genesis in this very story. Remember, th- this is what God says to Adam and he says it to Eve when they tell him that they were naked and afraid and ashamed. He asks this question. He says, who told you you were naked? That's interesting to me. What's he saying? Whose voice are you listening to? Who told you that that's who you are? Maybe a better way to say it in our context is like, who told you that you were stupid? Who who told you that you were an addict? Who told you that you were hopeless? Who told you fill in the blank? Because it wasn't God. Anytime you want to identify what God thinks about you, look in his word. And anything that's contrary to God's word, that's what the enemy has to say about you. We've got to tune into the right voices. If we listen to lies long enough, here's what starts to happen. You know, every one of us needs a healthy amount of guilt, or like the Bible would call it conviction, right? And guilt would say, I did something bad. But shame would say, I am bad. Guilt would say, I made a mistake. But shame would say, you are a mistake. Very different. Because then it starts to get at your very identity. And can I tell you something? You are not what you've done. This is this is the cool thing about Christianity. It has nothing to do with what you've done. Your identity isn't rooted in what you've done. Your identity is rooted in who you are in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And he paid the price for you. I think that's worth celebrating and just thanking God that he paid the price for us. And when the accuser points his bony finger in your direction and says, this is who you are, Jesus is called the advocate. And he stands in God's throne on our behalf. And he says, no, 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 that might have been what he did, but it's not who he is. He is in Christ Jesus, and he's a new creation, and he's forgiven, and he's made whole. This is how God sees us. When I was preparing this, you know what I heard God say? My voice is greater than any vice. I mean, if you're struggling with an addiction and you don't know how to break free, the best way to break free from an addiction or a destructive pattern is to start listening to God's voice. Listen to what he says about you. Listen to how much he cares about you and things start to shift. How about Ephesians 2.8? For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And it's interesting. Fear and shame like to tag team, but did you see how Faith and grace, they like to tag team too. You know, Satan says, shame on you, but Jesus says, shame off of you. And when we listen to the right voices, man, God starts to get a hold of us. Now listen, we're we're drawn to a close, but I want you to look at this word. Look at the word fear. Did you notice what you can't spell fear without? The word ear, right? In other words, fear needs an ear. The the way that we live in fear and we constantly live in worry and anxiety and doubt, it's when we feed ourselves constantly with fear. Fear needs an ear. So what voices are you listening to? You know, what else works with with our ears? It's another really cool one. It's faith, right? Because how does faith come? It comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So the best way to combat fear is with faith. For some of you, this—I don't know why—but for, for my wife, this is something she had to completely cut out. My wife used to love WebMD. She would be on it all the time, and the sad thing about WebMD is whether you have a broken toe, uh, you know, a runny nose, or a stomach ache—it all leads to one place. It's all cancer, right? Like that's, that sums up WebMD for you. Don't read M- WebMD. Doctors don't want you to. It drives them nuts. It drives God's nuts too. Maybe the best thing you could do is just trade in WebMD for the word of God. That would probably be the best favor you could ever do to yourself in your relationship with God. We've got to tune into the right voice. Here's the final thing. Number two, we've got to filter everything through faith and grace. Filter everything through faith and grace. I want to just ask you this question. What if from this point on, you began to just ask, what would faith do in this situation? Because faith pleases God. This is what God desires for us. What would grace do in this situation? I'll give you a great example. Most of us are familiar with Chick-fil-A, and I always love talking about Chick-fil-A on Sunday. You're welcome, because you can't go there later. But you know why you can't go there later? Because years ago, the founder, Truett Cathy, made a decision. He said, I'm going to put God first in my company. And he said, I'm gonna give the first day of the week off for all of my employees. I'm not gonna open a location anywhere in the country because I wanna put God first. Now, what if he filtered that decision through fear? Here's what fear would have said. That's a bad plan because Sunday's a pretty big day for people to sell burgers and sell chicken sandwiches. And, and if you don't open on Sundays, that's 52 days of the year where other businesses, competition are selling and you're not selling. Fear would have said, No, 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 stay open. But here's what faith said No, I trust God and I trust his track record and I have faith in his faithfulness. And if God tells me to do this, I can trust him that he'll make it up to me and he could do way more with six days submitted to him than seven days in disobedience to him. So I'm going to filter this decision through faith. And it's incredible because they had a lot of good competition in the early days. They were just kind of a fledgling regional company and and there were there were places like Boston Market and, and KFC that were on the rise but he he stuck to this promise that he made to God. He stepped out in faith. And you know something today when you look at their numbers, I want to tell you the average number of profit per location for the average fast food chain in America is 800,000 a year. Not bad. Average. That's for any fast food corporation in America. McDonald's is kind of the gold standard. You know what they do a year per location? 2.5 million on average. You wanna know how much Chick-fil-A does? The company that's closed 52 days out of the year, 5 million per location on average. Is God trying to show us something here? I think God's just trying to say, hey, I got this. You can trust me. Just filter your decisions through faith. Don't let fear dictate your decision. I'm big enough to handle this. There was another stat that blew me away. You know, one of the highest turnover positions is a management position in a fast food chain. Just not a lot of people stay there very long. Well, you know what their retention rate is at Chick-fil-A? 97% for their owner-operators. That's incredible. And I think God is honoring a decision that they made decades ago to live out of faith and not out of fear. So here's where we're gonna end. I just wanna ask you, what if we filtered our decisions through grace? Here's the honest truth. Now that you know a little bit more of my story, one of the biggest reasons I had a hard time extending grace to people was because I had a very hard time receiving grace from God. And I think some of us are in that same position. If you notice that you have a tendency to pronounce judgment on other people, and it's very hard for you to extend grace to other people, then I think you probably would identify in yourself the same tendency to not receive grace from God as well. I want to tell you a story. There was this girl who was adopted. I don't know her name, but she, she was adopted by this family that was an okay family. They took care of her basic needs, but they did not treat her like their biological children. And so when they would go somewhere special, they would leave her at home with a babysitter. All of, her, all of her brothers and sisters would get to go with their biological parents and do fun things. It even went so far as when they went to Disney World, they left her at home. So they never said this to her, but what was communicated to her is, I'm not, I'm not important. And uh, they're more important to me. I I don't have as much value. Maybe I did something. I don't deserve this. And so no surprise here, but she didn't stay very long in that house. And the people that ended up adopting her were this this pastor and his wife. They had some kids and he was a pretty well-known speaker. So he would speak all over the country and things were going really well. And she loved her new family and they loved her. And the dad got this idea in his mind. He said, man, the next time I preach in the Southeast, I'm gonna take our family to Disney World. So they started planning to take the whole family to Disney World. And it was crazy because to this point, the girl was so well behaved and she never really acted out. But over the next month, as they got closer and closer to the trip, she started to do all these things that were out of her character. She started to pick fights with her brothers and sisters. She was stealing things she didn't have to steal. She was lying. Just all of these different things. And the dad and the mom said, Man, we need to have a talk with her. So so he took her aside. And this is like a couple days before they go on the trip to Disney. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And she didn't miss a beat. She's like, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me because I was bad, I don't get to go to Disney. It's okay, I'm used to it. Now the dad, you, you, have, to, you have to understand, like he was a little bit tempted to, to say, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do if you're not good, right? <laughs> Wink. But he did it. There was something in him that said, no, 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 are you a part of this family? That's what he asked her she thought about it and she said, yeah. He said, then you're going to Disney. And she got this big smile on her face. And honestly, the next couple weeks weren't perfect and she still acted out a little bit. But the big day came and they went to Disney. And I, I just got to take our family to Disney, my kids, for the very first time last week. And it was incredibly expensive and also was so much fun but I got to see Disney through my daughter's eyes, especially all the princesses. And it was so amazing. And I I think I experienced what this dad experienced. And so they go through the whole day and it was magical. Just enough magic to make make you forget like all the the stuff that happens and make you wanna go back, right? And so they get back to the hotel that day and he's tucking her in. And he asks her the big question, hey, how was your first day at Disney? And she's got this stuffed animal that they got from Disney for $155. And and, um, she gets this big smile across her face and she says, it was awesome. But you know something? She said this, these are her actual words. I didn't get to go to Disney because I was good. I got to go to Disney because I was yours. And that dad is just ah pierced right to his soul. And it got him to thinking about grace and how much God, our Father, loves us and what he thinks about us. And and he made this observation. He said, you know what? Grace is not a favor that we achieve by being good. Grace is a gift that we receive by being God's. Grace has nothing to do with our track record or our performance or anything we could earn. And this is what's so hard for us in our American mindset. Well, I don't deserve grace. It's too good to be true. Listen, that's the point. It's too good to be true. But God loves you so much. And I wanna challenge you right now in this moment, what if you began to live out of grace? What if you began to let go of your fear and your secrets and your shame and you just brought it into the light and you gave it to God? What could he do? I'm gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes at every location. And I just wanna give you a moment. Boardman, TCI, Warren, Warren, I'm gonna just let this linger for a second. And I want you to ask God, what are the things that I need to bring into the light? How am I living in fear where I could be living in faith? What's the next step I need to take? God will show you. I'm just gonna let it breathe for a second. God, I thank you for every single person that's in this room. And I thank you that now freedom is coming to them. And I just want to ask you, maybe maybe some of you, you've been holding on to a secret. It wasn't even something that you made happen. Maybe it was abuse. You were abused decades ago, but it is still affecting you today. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your outlook on life. You don't trust anybody. You have no joy, no peace, anxiety all the time. And God's just wanting to say, hey, I can heal it, but you can't hide it and have it healed. Bring it into the light. Because here's the ultimate goal. God wants you to get healthy so you can help other people to get whole. He wants to use your story. And it doesn't have to be something that you're ashamed of. It could be something that God uses. He can say, hey, that was bad and the enemy meant that for evil, but I can take that and I can use it for good. Lord, I pray that you would help every person here come to a place of freedom. And here's my challenge to you, find one person that you can trust, that knows God and confess it. I'm telling you, there's freedom that can come from that. Then get counseling and get get advice and find the right next steps for every one of us. I'm telling you, God wants to heal you. Let me invite you to do one more thing at every location. I'm gonna ask no one to move around just out of respect to what God is doing. If you came here today, or maybe you've been coming for a couple weeks or a couple months and you've been hearing about a relationship with God, but you've never had a moment that you can remember where you made it personal with Jesus. We like to call it putting Jesus in the driver's seat. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not being perfect. It's not making all the right decisions from here on out. It's just saying, God, I'm gonna take a step towards you because you took a step towards me at my worst and gave me your best, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the good news, that Jesus so loved the world that he came here. God so loved us that he gave his only son, Jesus And whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be separated from him in a place called hell, but will inherit eternal life in a place called heaven. That's the gospel, plain and simple. The Bible makes it even more clear how to receive that gift. It's just by confessing it with your mouth, by praying a prayer and making a decision that every day forward, you're gonna follow Jesus. So if that's you at every location, I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer. There are so many that have prayed it already. Can we pray this together? Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for me. Thank you that he gave me his best. When I was at my worst, when I was deep in sin and in darkness, he wanted to bring me into his light. I repent, I turn away from anything in my past and I thank you for my future in Jesus Christ. I am a Christian in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, listen, every head still bowed, every eye still closed at every campus. I just want to do one more thing. You know, the Bible says that if one person prays this prayer on planet Earth, heaven goes nuts. Like they throw a party, they celebrate. And I'm not God. I don't know who prayed that prayer, but I would love to drive home today and celebrate. We've seen so many make that decision in the last month here at at both campuses. And I would love for you to be the next. So if that's you and you're like, man, I can't remember a moment where I made it personal with Jesus and I prayed that prayer today. Just right now, just all over the room, no one's looking around. We're not gonna ask you to stand up or get out of your seat, but I just want you to wave at me at every campus and our hosts are gonna be looking for you and they wanna put a Bible in your hand. If you raised it once, just raise it again. Give our hosts a moment to look for you. We're so excited for you. It's incredible to watch what God's doing. Hey, church, you can look up. Hey, can we make some noise for every person that made that decision at every campus? (laughs)